Why is happiness important for us? Are there different grades or qualities of happiness out there? And if so, what are they? What's the difference between material and spiritual happiness? Why is spiritual happiness so elusive to us? All this and more on today's episode of Atma Vision. Namaste, namaste, and welcome to Atma Vision. I'm Cyril War, also known as Chandrasekhar. And on this podcast, we do a little bit of comparative religion, and we try to see the world and our life in it through the lens of the sacred and scientific texts from the theistic Krishna Bhakti tradition. Let's deepen our faith. Happiness, 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 happiness. The very question, why is happiness important for us, should sound like a stupid question to ask. Like, duh, everybody wants to be happy. But actually, yesterday I was listening to this French philosopher who was attacking, for good reasons, the historical philosophical foundations of the woke ideology French philosophers like Derrida, Deleuze, uh, Foucault, and so on. And he made a good point, namely that a lot of these philosophers actually committed suicide or tried to commit suicide. And in some way, their whole entire paradigm or worldview revolves around destruction, including self-destruction. The Vedic literatures, for those of you who are here for the first time, when we mention Vedic literatures, we're talking about a corpus of ancient Sanskrit texts from thousands of years ago uh, under the problematic umbrella of quote-unquote Hinduism. The Vedic texts mention this famous aphorism, Atattu Brahma Jigyasa, now, now that you have a human form of life, you know, in terms of reincarnation, now you're supposed to inquire about the absolute truth. Um, and more importantly, Anandomayo Byasat. You as a spiritual being are designed to search for happiness, to be pleasure seeking. The idea of happiness as one's sort of constitutional raison d'etre is at the foundation of all of Sanatan Dharma philosophy, right? So happiness is obviously super important for the soul, for us, because according to the Vedic version, that's what we're kind of made for. We're made for happiness or we're made to enjoy now how do we enjoy that's the whole big question and that segues into our next main theme you know what is happiness and what kind of different grades of happiness are there if there are any grades and the answer yes there are different grades of happiness at least mentioned in the vedic liter literatures and so here i'm going to quote to you uh, or for us um, a couple of key verses from the bhagavad-gita um, for those of you who are here for the first time, the Bhagavad Gita is considered to be the, the most famous text of, um, of wisdom from all the different, you know, different uh, Vedic spiritual traditions. Um, Thomas Merton, the famous Christian theologian, said, quote, uh, the Gita or the Bhagavad Gita, it's abbreviated as Gita. The Gita can be seen as the main literary support 
for the great religions, or sorry, for the great religious civilization of India, the oldest surviving culture in the world. If you're doing a yoga training course, you have to know the Bhagavad Gita more or less. So it's really the most authoritative scriptural text of, of, of Hinduism. And in the, um, in the, well, the, in the 18th chapter of the, of the Bhagavad Gita and the last chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna or God who, who speaks the Bhagavad Gita describes three different kinds of happiness. Happiness under the influence of the mode or the guna of passion, under the influence or the guna of goodness, or under the influence of ignorance. Um, what is a guna? The Sanskrit term guna simply refers to influence or quality. And again, if you study yoga theology, you'll, you'll often hear this notion of sattva guna or raja guna or tamaguna, these three different types of influence that influence all of us and everything in existence from the time of day to the kind of food we eat to the kind of religious outlook we have in life to the kind of animals that exist or human beings to the kind of motivation we have. Um, and so we could do a whole podcast and we should on these three modes of nature. But I recommend if you want to learn more about these, you would go to the Bhagavad Gita and go to the 18th chapter. There's also another chapter, which if I'm not mistaken, is chapter 14. Uh, also, I think chapter 17 talks about these three modes, right? And so the point is that according to the Bhagavad Gita, there are different ca uh, grades of happiness. And these types of grades of happiness give a different result. They give a different result um, to the soul, to you and me, right? So let me describe the, the runner-up, right? The runner-up. This is not the greatest type of happiness. And this, unfortunately, is the grade of happiness that all of us are so accustomed to trying to get um, and that we sometimes get, but then we also get the repercussions of it, which is suffering, which is anxiety, And that happiness is called happiness in the mode of passion, in the mode of passion. So let me read to you the, the Sanskrit, um, and then I'll read to you what the, um, the translation is. Uh, we use the translation given by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, a little bit more on him later. But this is what um, his translation sounds like, and this is what the Sanskrit sounds like. Vishayendriya Samyogad Yatad agrim nitopamam Parina me vishamiva Tatsukam rajasam smritam And here's a translation. That happiness which is derived from contact of the senses with their objects and which appears like nectar at first but poison at the end is said to be of the nature of passion. So this idea of happiness coming as a result of contact of the senses with their objects. We have five senses, the eyes, the nose, the ear, the touch, the taste. And the world offers us their corresponding objects, right? Visuals for our eyes, things to feel with our touch, smells to smell with our nose, with our sense of, of, no, of, of smell, etc., etc. 
The big one, of course, in this world is sex, sex pleasure as being the most intense, the most, the epitome so-called of, uh, of, well, of happiness in the mode of passion, in the mode of passion, contact of the senses with their sense objects, right? So we don't have to be graphic, but we can imagine the sexual act or, you know, a lesser intense, but sometimes, or most of the time also very pleasurable, um, I don't know, putting some super delicious food in contact with our tongue. By definition, that's happiness that comes from the contact of the senses with the sense objects, right? And so according to the Bhagavad Gita, according to Krishna, that happiness, which is derived, right, from contact of the senses with their objects, is said to be in the mode of passion. And what's the characteristics of this type of happiness? Well, it appears like nectar at first, but poison at the end. Nectar at first, poison at the end. Nectar at first, poison at the end. Let's just be kind of stereotypical, but these examples are valid. For example, you really love drinking, you get totally drunk, it's really fun, you have a great time, and then at night or the next morning, you're totally hungover, right? And if you did some things when you were semi-unconscious that you, you, know, you regret, then comes along all sorts of psychological and emotional turmoil. In that same vein, um, a boy and a girl meet, they have a one night stand, the sex is great. And let's say the girl's not interested or the guy, most, most of the time it's guys are not, is not interested in a, in marriage or in a long-term relationship. And so what happens, the girl cries and is, is, is heartbroken. How many you know broken hearts are there as a result of um, promiscuous sex, for example, in society, right? So many studies have been made on that. So that type of happiness um, is nectar at first and poison at the end. It starts out, you know, with great uh, fireworks and, and all sorts of happy, happy feelings and so on. And then, um, you know, like Justin Timberlake sings in that song, Cry Me a River, typically the, you know, the lyrics go like this. Right? <laughs> Why did you leave me all alone, all alone? You told me you love me, but actually you don't. So that's happiness in the mode of passion. That's happiness in the mode of passion. And therefore... Uh, it should be avoided. It should be avoided. So does that mean that, for example, you don't eat, right? Because we're, you know, we're putting, we're putting a salad to our tongue and therefore that's, that's technically in the mode of passion. Well, in, in a material way it is, but then there's a spiritual way to spiritualize the, the, the idea of eating. And that's the notion of eating food that's been offered to God before eating it. And because it's been offered to God, it's been accepted by God. The idea behind is that. And therefore, that food has been blessed with, with spiritual potency. Kind of like the idea of transubstantiation in the Catholic tradition, where the, the piece of bread is actually the body of Christ. Uh, whereas in the Bhakti tradition, you know, you don't only offer and eat bread. You can cook a really cool vegetarian pizza, offer it to Krishna or God, and then eat that pizza to your heart's content. And that contact of the senses with the, with the tongue 
or with the, you know, with the corresponding sense, which is the tongue that is not considered in the mode of passion. It's considered totally transcendental, totally spiritual, because that food is no longer influenced by those three modes of nature. It carries no karma in it. Sorry, we're not going to unpack these notions, but suffice it to say that that act is no longer material. It's no longer under any type of material conditioning. Um, it is spiritual by nature because it's been spiritualized by the act of, of offering that food to God. And the idea in the Bhakti Yoga tradition is that all our senses can be spiritualized. Um, it's not an idea of you know, a world-renouncing type of, of philosophy, as we see, for example, with the Zen Buddhists or with the uh, you know, non-dualists of the Hindu tradition where they re you know, retreat from all type of engagement in the world, all sorts of contacts or any type of contact of, you know, the senses with their sense objects, um, because they understand like, you know, action in this world brings suffering. So therefore we're going to just stop acting altogether. And hence, you know, the famous Zen meditation where you just sit in total silence and, or the, you know, the yogic practice of pranayama where the only thing you're really just doing is you're not even breathing. You're, you're stopping your breathing. You're meditating on, well, and what you meditate is another issue. But in the bhakti tradition, the idea is that you engage your senses in the service of God. And by doing that, uh, the senses are protected from, from karmic or sinful reactions, right? We'll speak about that on, an, on another day, because here we'd like to just stick to this notion or to the theme of, of what is, you know, happiness in the mode of passion. And now we're coming to uh, the, not the runner up, but the winner, so-called, um, or not so-called, but according to the Bhagavad Gita, here's the winner of the three, um, the three, uh, types of happiness. And this is the happiness in the mode of goodness, right? Now there's spiritual happiness above all. And this is where we're going to get at after I quote this verse to you, because the highest type of happiness is spiritual happiness, spiritual of the spirit, happiness of the soul. But as we'll see, happiness that's in the mode of goodness or influenced by this quality of goodness is, is very close. It like, it really rubs shoulders with spiritual happiness. It's a trampoline. It's a segue to transcendental or spiritual happiness. And therefore it's so much stressed that one should live one's life. One should have one's lifestyle influence as much as possible by this mode of goodness. And what does that mean? That means being clean. Primarily it means being clean, being regulated, um, being healthy, um, being peaceful, living in a regulated way uh, where everything around us is clean and pure and so on as much as possible. So here is um, this Famous verse, again, from the Bhagavad Gita, which describes um, happiness in the mode of goodness, right? Yatat agre vishamiva pariname mritopamam tatsukam satvikam proktam atmabodhi prasadajam Translation that which in the beginning may be just like poison, but at the end is just like nectar, and which awakens one to self-realization, is said to be happiness in the mode of goodness. So here we have the flip. 
It's poison at first, or it appears like poison at first, but at the end, it's just like nectar. And not just that, but it also awakens one to self-realization. Hence, as I mentioned, it rubs shoulders with the uh, notion of spiritual or transcendental happiness. So this is happiness in the, or influenced by the mode or the guna or the quality of goodness. Um, so what's an example of happiness in the mode of goodness, which at the beginning is like nectar, but uh, sorry, which at the beginning is like poison, but then which turns out to be like nectar. Well, for example, studies have shown that when you make it a point to go to sleep early and wake up early and take a shower first thing in the morning and freshen up, then, you know, that initial waking up early or taking a shower, what to speak of a cold shower, um, is, is like poison. You know, you'd rather stay in the, in the ignorance or in the, the darkness of, of illusion of sleep. Again, not that we don't sleep, but you know, oversleeping is, uh, is not recommended. Um, but undersleeping is also not recommended, but the idea is, okay, it's, 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 or for example, you know, the austerity of going through a college degree, it's austere. You have to get there. You have to I mean, get there. I mean, meaning to classes and you have to follow the curriculum and you have to pass the exams and, and you have to get your grades and so on. But fine. So that's, that's kind of like poison. But at the end, you get your degree, you get your degree and that enables you to, to work in the world and to be successful and to make more money. So it's, it's nectar at the end, right? So you put in the work, you put in the austerity and then you get a result, right? And here it's interesting. It says, it says that happiness in the mode of goodness awakens one to self-realization. For example, it said, you know, Dios ayuda a, lo, a, Dios ayuda a los que madrugan. God helps those who wake up before dawn. So why? And it's known that, you know, spiritual practice in the early morning is very conducive to, well, to self-realization, to developing, to reawaken one's love for God and to deepening one's spiritual vision of the world and of ourselves and so on, right? That early morning time. So it's, it's poison, so-called, to wake up early. But if you make that effort, then you realize, okay, I'm awake, I'm fresh, I just took a shower and... You know, the world is calm and peaceful, and now I can focus on chanting God's holy names. Now I can chant on, I can focus on my prayers. Now I can focus on reading sacred scripture, right? So here's the connection. Now in this connection, speaking of connections, um, as we do in our podcast, we usually do our, what's called our Prabhupada uh, parenthesis or our yeah, Prabhupada moment. And um, here I want to play to you a little short clip where Prabhupada, and I'll mention who he is for those of you who are the first, who are here for the first time, um, talks about precisely this idea of realizing unlimited, uh, unlimited happiness, unlimited happiness. Um, so for those of you who don't know Prabhupada, Prabhupada is, well, my spiritual grandfather, so to speak. He's the founder of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Historically, he is the person who exported uh, the spiritual tradition of Krishna Bhakti, therefore the practice of Kirtan, the philosophy of the Bhagavad Gita or or the Srimad Bhagavatam, which are the two main uh, Vedic scriptures that he translated and commented upon to the modern Western world. He is, you know, incontournable, as we say in French. You cannot like bypass, historically speaking, the figure of Srila Prabhupada. So here is our... Prabhupada parenthesis or a Prabhupada moment. 
हरे कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे हरे This is a little clip from a um, little clip. Listen to this. This is Prabhupada speaking himself. And voluntarily one has to accept some so-called suffering. So he just said tapasya. Tapasya is the Sanskrit term for austerity. So he's just defining what it is. He's saying tapasya means to accept some type of suffering, some type of so-called suffering. that is required to make advancement in krishna consciousness he's saying that is required to make advancement in krishna or god consciousness voluntarily acceptance some so called suffering voluntarily accepting some so called suffering now this type of suffering as a princesses to the prabhat princesses is not you know inflicting pain upon oneself we're not talking about you know the hardcore i don't know practice of whipping yourself or as we see in some catholic nunneries or catholic monasteries where they you know inflict physical torture or there's you know this practice of emulating the passion of christ by by being by crucifying yourself or or and we see this also in the indic traditions where you know, some yogis will like perform some crazy austerities of standing on one foot for years or you know i don't know just not talking or you know all sorts of crazy uh, self mutilating practices here what prabhupada's talking about here in terms of some suffering he's talking about basically four practices for lifestyle practices which enable one precisely to live uh, in the mode of goodness and that is basically to avoid meat eating to avoid gambling to avoid uh, intoxication and to avoid uh, sex outside of marriage that's and wake up early in the morning to uh, or as, as early as we can um, to to practice spirituality but let's continue hearing from prabhupada that suffering is for transcendental realization see there's a lot of people who know this secret and who you know who will even teach it there's all sorts of courses that teach like hey you should live in the mode of goodness they may not use that terminology but you know hey it's really good to wake up early in the morning and to you know what's his name um that famous um self-help guru who's really big i forget his name but you know he himself has a practice of of jumping into a an ice cold pool of water first thing in the morning right and to wake up really early right but what's the goal what's the motivation right now i'm not saying that we shouldn't work we shouldn't try to advance our career and so on and and we certainly do but the highest or the best type of goal for a moda goodness lifestyle is spiritual realization and it can be you know paralleled with our material life and our career and our family and so on but we should understand and we should believe that you know living in the moda goodness or performing some type of moral Uh, principled lifestyle and so on and so on uh, may help and it does help our material life you know making more money and so on and so on but ultimately it, it, we should be happy that it helps us you know realize god if we add to that a spiritual practice such as chanting hari krishna such as you know reading scripture and so on and so on let's continue and hear the the end of this clip 
That is good. Here he's quoting a verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam 551. So here's the result. He's saying, Shudyat means your existence will be purified. And now we're coming to the whole point about happiness. Listen to this. And existence purified means you uh, advance to realize unlimited happiness. There you go. Purified existence means you advance to experience unlimited happiness. Unlimited happiness, right? Unlimited happiness, Prabhupada, is um, echoing the words of Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita and in the Srimad Bhagavatam. So we're done with our little Prabhupada moment for today. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Now, coming to the end of this discussion, remember I mentioned about transcendental happiness, spiritual happiness, right? Happiness that is even beyond any type of material conditioning, including that of, you know, the winner of them all, the mode of goodness, spiritual happiness. And this is the kind of spiritual happiness that, you know, all theistic traditions talk about and which, and and, and the theme comes up again and again of happiness that is bestowed upon the soul, that is bestowed upon us by God, by God, by the grace of God. When God is pleased with a soul, then God gives, grants the soul his love and the soul feels happiness, feels spiritual happiness, right? So this is, this is a type of happiness which is on the platform of consciousness, not on the platform of contact of the senses with their sense objects, you see. It's a type of happiness which... Theoretically, according to the Bhagavad Gita and the other Vedic literatures, transcends material existence, transcends the activities of even the mind, what to speak of, of the body, right? And so here's a verse, and this is the last verse that we'll quote today, coming again from the Bhagavad Gita, but this is from an earlier chapter, chapter 6, verse 20 to 23, uh, where Krishna or God describes, describes the state of mind or the consciousness in which uh, a soul experiences this type of, of happiness, right? Of this, but that, that comes as a result of contact with God, of contact with God, of service to God, of, of entering or reawakening a relationship with God, right? And, and so this, you know, this should be really inspiring for us. So listen to this verse and I'll read the translation. In. The stage of perfection is called trance or samadhi. When one's mind is completely restrained from material mental activities by practice of yoga. This is characterized by one's ability to see the self by the pure mind and to relish and rejoice in the self. In that joyous state, one is situated in boundless transcendental happiness and enjoys himself through transcendental senses. Established thus, one never departs from the truth, and upon gaining this, he thinks there is no greater gain. Being situated in such a position, one is never shaken, 
even in the midst of greatest difficulty. This indeed is actual freedom from all miseries arising from material contact. So you see this freedom from material contact. So this is the kind of happiness which exists beyond precisely the contact of the senses with their sense objects. It's characterized by the ability to see the self by the pure mind. In other words, you're so God conscious that you see yourself as a soul, as an eternal spiritual being and not your physical body. And therefore, you're connected to the source also, right? Because the self can mean the individual self, but it can also mean the supreme self or God or Krishna or Vishnu, right? And then so what happens when you're connected with God or with Krishna or with Vishnu, you're God conscious? Well, you're situated in boundless transcendental happiness. Imagine that boundless transcendental happiness, right? And you enjoy yourself through transcendental senses. And therefore, that's where the freedom comes. It's, it's the type of happiness, of joy, that does not depend on external circumstances. It does not depend on the money you have or the relationships, success or failures that you have. It doesn't depend on the popularity or lack of popularity you have. It doesn't depend on your health or your whether it's good health or bad health. It doesn't depend on any type of material consideration because it exists beyond the senses beyond the mind, right? It's transcendental happiness. And, and in the Bhagavad Gita, we'll talk about that another time, but there's this idea that the soul has transcendental senses. The soul is not just some conscious being, some energy. The soul, you as a soul has, you have, sorry, you have a, 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 a form and, and you have senses, spiritual senses, but we'll talk about that another time. Um, and, and listen to this, once established thus, once gaining this, you think there is no greater gain. There is no greater gain. So once you're situated in that spiritual happiness, you're like, oh my God, right? Um, and you're just feeling it. You're feeling it. You're feeling happy, joyful, peaceful, right? And you hear that in a lot of beautiful testimonies um, by different, you know, Christian or theistic uh, believers. And as, as you may know, uh, if you're here for the first time, we often make allusions to contemporary Christian music. And here I'm just going to pass, a, I'm going to listen, make you listen to a short uh, passage in a live, uh, live concert recorded in South Africa um, by Vashon Mitchell, who's really, whose fam most famous song is called Nobody Greater. He's talking about Jesus, nobody greater than you. And, um, and there's two guests, uh, Tasha Cobbs and Leonard uh, Winans. And, and so listen to this. He's talking about joy, you know, joy. I've got it. I've got it. Joy in the morning, joy in the evening. I've got it. Right. And so this type of joy is a joy that's obtained through contact with God. And as a matter of fact, before, you know, listen, I say pass because in French you say, je vais te passer. In, in other words, I'm going to make you listen. So sorry for always saying pass. I'm going to pass you this. I'm making a little linguistic mistake here. Uh, but don't worry, I am an American. I was born in America. Anyway, sorry, stupid joke. But listen to this. This is a small little uh, passage um, by a, a pretty charismatic uh, Christian pastor who lives in Singapore. His name is Joseph Prince. And, and here's, oops, excuse me. Here's what he has to say um, about this type of joy, uh, about this type of happiness. Listen to this. It's a short little passage. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I rejoice where? In your happenings? No. In the Lord. 
in the Lord, in your good shepherd. Even when things go wrong, rejoice in him. Keep a merry heart. That releases healing. You see, so that's the point again. The idea is that you rejoice in God. You, you, you water the root of the tree. You as a soul are, you know, are connected to God ontologically, eternally. And God is con- compared to the root and you're like a branch. So you water that root, then you'll feel the happiness that God feels, right? Maybe to a minute degree, but in the same quality, right? And so therefore Christians would say, you know, rejoice in the Lord, right? Uh, the Bhagavad Gita also talks about this paramdrishva, this idea of obtaining a higher taste, a higher spiritual taste, a higher, higher than what? Higher than the happiness derived from contact of the senses with their sense objects, right? And hence, you know, the Catholics pray or the Bible, there's that famous, you know, our father prayer, please, you know, uh, protect us from, from not falling into temptation, right? You know, the temptation to sin is there because the, the act of sinning brings s- s- happiness that's in the mode of passion, right? Having, for example, an extramarital relationship or watching pornography and masturbating. These are types of happinesses that are in the mode of passion. And so they're nectar at first, but they're poison at the end. But there is some nectar there. There is some happiness. Let's not deny it, right? And so unless someone is experiencing joy in God or this param drishva, this higher taste, then one will, you know, will go to some type of happiness. Because as I mentioned at the very beginning of this, of this podcast, the soul or you by nature is anandomaya biasat, pleasure seeking. So you're going you're gonna to seek pleasure in, in the lower types of happiness, or to use Christian terminology, in sin or sinful pleasures, or you'll hopefully, hopefully rejoice in the Lord. And then the Lord will give you happiness, right? As is testified here by, um, by um, Vashon Mitchell and his friends who are really, really rocking out here in South Africa. Listen to this. I highly, I highly recommend you, you listen to this song. It is so amazing. It's called Nobody Greater by Vashon Mitchell. And there's a studio version, which rocks at the end, but only for a short amount of time. Or the live version in South Africa at The Secret Place. And, and that, that song lasts like about 11 minutes and they're just going off. And so you see, he's saying, I've got it. You know, joy in the morning. I've got it. Joy in the evening. Unspeakable joy, Right. And so this is what, you know, we should be all uh, aiming for. This is, this is the kind of happiness we should be really trusting and believing in and trying to, to, to maintain and obtain, right? Um, and, and in order to do that, you know, there's a price. The price to pay is, you know, we got to live in the mode of goodness. It means we have to avoid or try our best to avoid the kind of activities that bring us down into the lower modes. 
And so therefore, you know, the, the pornography or the illicit, you know, sexual relationships or the, you know, the eating of meat or the gambling or taking drugs. These are the sort of stuff that the activities that bring down our consciousness into the lower modes and which make it more difficult. I'm not saying that they're not obtainable, but it just makes it more difficult to, to, to experience a constant, you know, a constant type of, of mm, contact and, and feeling of love, you know, vis-a-vis uh, Krishna or God, right? And when we do, you know, slip into, you know, activities that are not favorable for our spiritual development, what's the solution? To get back up and to reach out to God once again, right? And God being very kind, you know, reciprocates with us, no matter how, you know, foolish or stupid or hypocritical or insincere or just dumb we've been, right? So we just pick ourselves back up and we continue um, doing, well, what's really recommended in this age, namely chanting God's names individually or, or in group. Um, and, and by doing that, you know, we, again, God reciprocates and we experience his love. Once again, we experience his, <clears throat> excuse me, his higher taste or the higher taste. And that higher taste enables us precisely to, you know, to resist temptation and to remain, to remain on that high, high level of mode of goodness, which is itself very conducive to experiencing, you know, the actual spiritual happiness that we're all that we're all, you know, searching for and, and yearning for, right? So we just got to continue doing that, continue to focus on, on the spiritual happiness and at the same time, you know, do everything else we need to do, which, you know, to raise our children and to have our families and to make our money and to pay our taxes to, these, to a lot of stupid politicians. And, you know, and to, we have to tolerate living in this world and try to do the best we can in this world. But with the background, with the background of spiritual practice, with the background of wanting to connect at the deepest level of, of ourselves as souls, as phys- spiritual beings inside our bodies, with the source of our, of our very existence, uh, which is God. And if we continue that, then, you know, our life down here will be, will be blessed and, and as happy as it can be. And, uh, and the future after death will look, uh, very, very beautiful. So talk to you next time. And, um, thanks for watching or not watching, but hearing. And until then we can continue chanting Hare Krishna.